You're listening to a sermon recording from Southside Christian Church. The sermon you're about to listen to was delivered by Brooks Wilson on December 9th, 2018. For more information about Southside, visit our website at southsidechristian.com. Merry Christmas, everybody. Good morning. We're glad to have you here today uh, to worship together as we think about this Christmas time. Uh, You know, there comes a time in every man's life where he's just got to put his foot down, stand his ground, draw a line in the sand and say, that's it, no further. Sometimes that even comes during Christmas time. It's been um, quite a few years ago now. My wife Jody and I, we had three small kids at the time, elementary age or so. And so uh, life for us, as some of you parents can attest, was just a constant running around wrestling, cleaning up after kids sort of life. I mean, we money was tight. We were just getting by by constant effort and by the glorious grace of God alone, you know. And during those days, one day, my, my beautiful wife came to me with a suggestion. Jody said to me, let's get a puppy for Christmas. <laughs> my response was, nope. Are you kidding? We're already wrestling these three bouncing boys all over the place, and now you're going to add this, like, chewing, messing, energy ball of barking into the mix? No way. We have no money. We have no time. No way. I put my foot down. Well, we called her Harley. She's... uh been in the family about 11 years now, so much for that. But you know what I mean. Sometimes, well, yeah, you've got to hit the stop button. Uh, today we're continuing in our series called Christmas Time. We're remembering when God entered into our time in the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus the King. And, and that first Christmas time shapes how we live even today in our time. So, for instance, there is a time in life to put your foot down. Uh, Herod did that. Um, it wasn't the first Christmas time exactly, but it was in response to Christmas time, maybe months after the birth of Jesus, maybe even a year or two. But eventually he put his foot down. And I want to look at his story today in Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a, a Bible want to follow along, we'll be in Matthew 2, which is on page 783 in those brown Bibles in front of you. You can follow along on version or on the screens. But Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, tells this story. Uh, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is already a pretty tricky question. You know, foreigners coming in asking the current king where the future king is born. This is trouble. So verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was a ruler of one portion of the Roman Empire at the time, uh, extending in the north from a place called Galilee or Trachonitis all the way south to an area called uh, Judea or Idumea. Uh, He was not an independent king. He was a part of the Roman Empire ruling over this area by appointment of the Roman Senate in 40 B.C. Uh, he, He kept his rule in this area for about 33 years, which is is no easy feat in that hostile region. 
So when he hears this question about a newborn king of the Jews, he put his foot down. The story says he was disturbed. The, the, the Greek term uh, is the idea of being shaken up. It's being stirred up. It's the same word used when the disciples were rowing their boat across the storm-ridden lake and they saw Jesus walking on the water. They're disturbed. They're shaken up. The same word used of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who realized their third party is a resurrected Jesus. They're stirred up. They're shaken up. This is a picture of being unsettled, of being agitated. King Herod has been exasperated by this question and he put his foot down. Now, Herod was no stranger to being disturbed. Born to a leading family from uh, Idumea, what we would call maybe ancient Edom, uh, he was almost always seen as an outsider by the Jewish people of his area, of his rule. His forefathers were forced to convert to Judaism long before his birth, so he was counted as a Jew, but his family was always very connected to Rome, the occupiers. His father, Antipater, was a, a great soldier, served under Pompey, who conquered Judea for the Roman Empire, and then later his father served for Julius Caesar himself. In fact, Antipater, who was this, this wonderful soldier, once stripped off his tunic in Caesar's presence to display his many battle scars he earned for Rome. So from a very early age, Herod learned how to play politics. In fact, once he was given rule over this area of the Roman Empire, he married strategically, taking, the, the, uh, taking as his wife a, a Jewish princess named Miriam. She bore him sons and daughters. But uh, her mother, his mother-in-law, Alexandra, never got along with Herod very well. Mothers-in-law, you know. She was constantly working behind the scenes to try to get him to fall out of favor with Rome. And so Herod had to put his foot down. When his brother-in-law was gaining popularity among the Jewish people and in Alexandria, his mother-in-law was pushing for his promotion, he got pretty suspicious. And so he orchestrated a swimming accident for his brother-in-law in which he drowned. Well, that didn't go over very well. And later Herod was a call to account for this by Mark Antony. He came and had to, to give account to this. But when Herod went to give account, he told the leaders of his nation, he said, listen, if I am executed for this crime, make sure you execute my wife. Because he was so in love with her. He couldn't imagine her being with another man. Well, he bought his way out of that uh, trouble, and when he came back, his wife found out about that little deal, and things soured in their relationship. Can you imagine? And so pretty soon, Herod's sister saw a crack in the armor and began spreading rumors that his wife, in fact, was trying to poison Herod with love potions and other drugs. So Herod uh, put his wife on trial and ordered her execution, even though he loved her madly. You thought your family had drama during Christmas time. His wife's death unhinged him. His, by many accounts, his, his sanity dissipated. He was disturbed. And soon after, you might expect, he executed his mother-in-law for plotting against him. Near the end of his life, two of his sons he accused of trying to take his throne In fact, he had a sham of a trial for him in which they did not even get to present a defense. And when they were found, of course, uh, guilty of those crimes, he ordered them strangled to death, his own sons. 
Another son was accused near the end of his life trying to poison him. So Herod had him tried. And even though he was found innocent of the charges, Herod sent his bodyguard to take care of his son to execute him. On his deathbed, as he suffered from uh, reportedly fever, skin disease, gangrene, inflammation, asthma, and convulsions, two popular Jewish teachers of the day encouraged some of their students to climb to the summit of the temple of God and to take down a golden eagle that Herod had put up there as a symbol for Rome. It was an affront to Jewish sensibilities. And so these students did that. and and, And Herod, even in the agony of his deathbed, ordered that those two Jewish priests be burned to death and all 40 of those who participated in it killed. The nation was crushed disturbed Herod put his foot down. Any threat to his throne he took seriously. And it's into this time that Jesus the king was born. Near the end of Herod's time. Just imagine someone born as the son of God, almighty king, when in the area around him the sons of the king are all dying because of the king's wrath. Imagine a Jesus born into this. And imagine asking about that Christmas time. And Herod put his foot down. You need to do that too, you know. Put your foot down. Stand your ground. Our time has its own people, of course, who are disturbed. Disturbed by talk of this king named Jesus. Disturbed that the church exists. Shaken, perhaps, when the church stands against the so-called progress of, of sexual freedom or marriage equality or economic disparities. Once known as a beacon for purity in our country, the church of Jesus, by and large, is now considered as intolerant and bigoted. How dare you tell me who to love, how to live, what to believe? It seems that our nation in large part has lost this sort of overall story about a benevolent God who loves people and wants truth and beauty and justice in the world. Now, of course, we live in a day and age in which we have a satanic statue in our capital rotunda between the Christmas tree and the menorah, you know. In large part, I think, I'm afraid we've even lost the story of a patriotic America in which people give their lives for each other and for our nation. Instead, the overriding desire, it seems, of our uh, story in America is the founding of personal freedom to do whatever we want to the exclusion of everyone else. Keep your laws off my body. But the way of Jesus seems to be in opposition to so much of that. It is to, to love God with everything that we are, to love others even above ourselves. And that is a strange way in our time. So much so that even the words of Psalm 119 seem to resonate with me more and more in this day and age where the psalmist simply writes, I am a stranger on earth. This... This level of disturbance in our culture, it may mean you've got to put your foot down to stand up against the rising tide of what people believe. So let me ask you this simple question this morning. What will you not settle for in this time? What will you say, that's it, no more, I can't do anymore? What will you say, nope, that's wrong? What will you do? to unapologetically proclaim the way of Jesus and follow His way, even in a time of hostility, will you put your foot down? There are times when you have to. Then again, there are times, other times, when you have to be flexible. 
You have to listen to others. You have to consider others' viewpoints, you know, and uh, there's always a time to consider options. It's easy to get stuck in our own way of seeing the world, uh, but if you open your mind, you can see things in a whole new light. I think about any time I go to see a play, and what I see on the stage are actors and a curtain, but if you were to take an actor's viewpoint to see the backside of the stage, of course, what do they see? They see staging and lighting and and people moving and all of these things. It's a different viewpoint, or... I think about the times in life when I've been able to see the the beautiful creature, uh, the elephant, you know, and I see those giant feet, and in my mind I imagine something incredibly different. But then, of course, if you were to see it through the view of an x-ray, you see that actually the bone structure of an elephant's foot is not altogether different than ours. They just have a much better insole. Or I think about... Grains of salt spilled on the table and how, you know, annoying that is and it's such a little thing. But then to see it through a different perspective, through an electron microscope, and you think, man, those are fantastically beautiful. Or in my mind's eye, I think about uh, the history. I think about this huge ship called the Titanic until you see it up next close to a modern-day cruise ship. And it seems kind of small. There comes a time to open yourself to new perspectives and to see the world through different eyes. Herod even did that in response to Christmas time. In verse 4 of chapter 2, if we keep reading there, it tells us that while he was disturbed, it says in verse 4, when he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He's collaborating here. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. Now, of course, we read this with a bit of a skeptical eye. Herod was disturbed, after all, but... Herod wasn't simply an evil tyrant, you know. Sometimes he listened to people. Sometimes he was flexible and teachable. See, even though his forefathers were forced into Judaism, Herod strictly observed the laws of Torah, of Moses in his day. His dietary laws that he kept from the Mosaic Old Testament were known throughout the Roman world. In fact, a Roman poet, a Latin poet, rather named Perseus, called uh, the Sabbath Herod's Day. That's how strict of an observance he kept. He even, throughout his empire, did not allow any statue or likeness of himself to be put among the people, among the Jewish people, for uh, in deference to their laws against likenesses and images. Nor was his image or that of any Roman Caesar placed on the coins of Judea at the time. He loved learning, was a lifetime lifetime learner. Not only did he have classic education as a kid growing up learning about Homer and reading and studying Greek and uh, physical education, musical education, but later in his life, at the age of 60, there was a teacher brought into his court who would later write how much he loved philosophy and learning history and, and the art of debate, which he would practice with his teacher even in his older years. But probably his greatest collaboration came in his his generosity. When a two-year famine hit the land, Herod sold his own valuables to purchase food in Egypt to be brought in to all the starving people of Judea. And even those outside of his boundary were fed. 
Ten years later, another famine hit, and he excused a quarter of the taxes due him during that time. Did you know his personal generosity to the ancient Olympic Games was so large he was named the Perpetual Olympic President? He personally attended the 192nd Olympic Games, and with his contributions, those ancient games continued even 400 years after his death. But all of that pales in comparison to what he did for the Jewish temple. In 19 BC, about 15 years or so before the birth of Jesus, he reconstructed the Jewish temple at his own expense. He consulted with Jewish priests and Levites to to design it. He assembled all the building materials in advance in case he would pass away, that the the building would continue. To cap it off, he bought beautiful robes for a thousand priests. He sacrificed 300 oxen, again, all at his own expense. It took a thousand priests to supervise this project, 10,000 skilled workmen, millions of contemporary dollars, and it became a wonder of the ancient world. A Jewish proverb says, He that has not seen the temple of Herod has never known what beauty is. To this day, the Western Wall, or what we call the Wailing Wall, perhaps, is a part of his work. It still stands. Herod listened and worked with others. He extended his wealth for the benefit of people very different from him, maybe even many who hated him. And it's into that time that Jesus, the King, is born, a king who also would be hated, a king who also would give of himself to a people who did not appreciate him. Magi asked about the Christmas time. Herod called together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he considered their words and their viewpoints. And you need to do that too, you know. You need to listen to others, to be flexible, to call in the experts, to see the world through different eyes. We live in such a shout-down culture. It seems like nobody wants to hear anything that they don't already agree with. So on social media, we follow those people we agree with. We watch the TV news stations or the radio stations of, of pundits that we agree with. We amen Bible teaching that we agree with. And the rest, eh. What if someone different than you... What if they're right? What if, what if a Muslim person or a Buddhist person of faith has something to teach us about human dignity? What if, uh, what if a, a Democrat has a good plan for immigration or a Republican has a solid fiscal strategy? Would you listen? What if there's a a woman in your life that could help you with your business strategy? What if there's a man in your life that could help revolutionize your family recipe? Would you listen? What if there's a Chicago Cub fan who makes a smart observation about baseball? I haven't heard it yet, but if they do, I I, want to listen. Boy, that's not going to go over well. If, um, <laughs> if an ultra-wealthy, narcissistic, disturbed ruler named Herod can collaborate with Jewish religious leaders to reconstruct the temple into a wonder of the ancient world, I guess I wonder, who should we be willing to listen to that might advance the kingdom of God in ways beyond our imagination? 
Or, or maybe what I'm asking is this. If God would take on human flesh, enter into this good creation and partner with broken people like you and I, then how in the world can we incarnate His gospel unity, His gospel humility in our time? How can we put on flesh and blood the, the ancient good news of Jesus and love one another right now? There's lots of ways, of course. I mean, even as you leave worship today, you can walk by a Christmas tree in the hallway and there are envelopes on there and you could purchase a gift for a Native American child halfway across our country that has something or almost nothing this Christmas season. And you can be a part of that. And you can show love and the gospel of Jesus incarnated in something that simple. Many of you know, of course, last weekend, uh, Taylorville suffered a number of hurricanes. And one... um, Or, yeah... (laughs) The cub comments still rolling around there. Uh, let's call them tornado. Um, let's, let's do that. Um, tore up, you know, portions of the city. I've been in contact with the Christian church over there throughout the week. I've got lots of help right now. Um, but there are organizations that are reaching into that, including uh, an organization that we partner with here locally called Midwest Mission that um, you could, if you'd want, go to midwestmission.org. You can make donations for for, uh, gifts that they're providing for families who are in need. Uh, Right now, even today, they're having um, some organization for volunteers over at at Taylorville, at the Christian Church there in Taylorville. Or you can go to uh, Taylorville Recovery on Facebook. If you look up Taylorville Recovery, trying to coordinate volunteer activities and donations, you can be a part of that. You You can love someone even different than you. Who believes different than you? Who thinks different than you? And we can collaborate together to love one another in this gospel of Jesus. Because there are times in life when you've got to put your foot down and say, nope, no more. And there are other times in life when you've got to join with other people and you've got to collaborate and you've got to work together and consider their viewpoints. But, but this time in history, right now, 2018, what time is this? Well, I think this is a time to listen to God. Very specifically, pick up in the story again in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 with the Magi. It says, After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then, Uh, They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The the Magi listened to this this dream, in context, this this picture, this maybe communication by God himself, and they responded to that, which is all the more incredible when you consider who they were. The Bible, the word is just magoi. That's about all we get. Tradition has added all kinds of wonderful stories. For instance, it says that there are three of them, right? Corresponding to the three gifts that they brought. But we don't know. There might have been 30. Uh, Tradition has even given them names. You know, there's uh, Gaspar, king of India, Melchior, king of Persia, and Balthasar, king of Arabia. But we don't know. Some say that they even represent three groups of people that descended from Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. That is, they were from the Asian and African and European peoples. But, but all the scriptural story tells us is Magoi, a Persian word describing Persian high priests who studied astrology and the magical arts. Probably more like Grindelwald than Billy Graham, I guess. 
Has it ever intrigued you that the people who saw this star were Persians, not Palestinians? That they came from Iraq and not Israel? How does a pagan Persian priest see the Savior's star when the Jewish people, the people of God, pass right under it? Or, let me ask it more personally, what is God communicating with us that is completely escaping our attention? What joy, what worship are we missing out on because we don't take the time to listen? Do you have the time to listen to God in this time? Among his many building projects, Herod had one special place constructed. It was a 60-acre site in which he built an artificial summit, a mountain, essentially, that had 200 stairs to reach it. He wanted a place of security, so he built a mountain, a palace on top of a mountain, and it had four towers, beautiful halls, decorated with wall paintings all throughout. On the, on the slope of the mountain, there was even a theater constructed that would seat some three to 400 of Herod's closest friends for plays or whatnot. To secure water to this beautiful place, he had to build an aqueduct that was four miles long. But in his mind, this place, the place he would call after himself, Herodium, This was to be a place of security. This was to be his final resting place. So he erected a three-story mausoleum made of white limestone. And upon his death, he wanted to be secure here. He wanted to rest in peace, in a peace that he never experienced really in his life. In fact, just five days before his death, Herod ordered the arrest and imprisonment of all the leading men of Judea. And once he brought them all in, he was convinced that his death would not be mourned by the Jewish people, but would be celebrated by them. And so in order to create an experience of mourning, he ordered his sister that when he died, all of the leading men of Judea should be executed as well. His final directive was this, let all Judea and every household weep for me, whether they will or not. After his death... His sister mercifully disobeyed his final order, releasing the men instead. Herod died shortly before Passover in 4 BC and was buried in his Herodium palace. But get this, it was just 10 miles south of Bethlehem. Herod's final resting place was just 10 miles away from the birthplace of Jesus, the king, but he missed Christmas time. He so listened to his own desire for power and privilege. He was so close, but he missed the voice of God in his time, the presence of God. You won't make that same mistake, will you? You'll take the time to listen to God. You'll slow down enough in this time, won't you? As busy as it is to quiet your mind and listen for his voice, won't you? I believe you will. I know you will. In fact, I've got to put my foot down about this one. Listen to God in this Christmas time and find His joy. Would you bow with me for just a moment? In the silence of the moment, Father, I pray for you to speak.
Would you illuminate among us, Father, places where we have to put our foot down and we have to stand strong and firm, ready to fight the battles of your kingdom in a culture that largely has lost that story. Speak to us, Father, about those times that we need to soften our hearts and listen to people around us who are very different than us, that we need to love them and reach across hostilities to care for them. Father, speak that into our lives. But ultimately, just help us to hear you, Father. In the midst of of Christmas entanglements and busy schedules and presents and all the rest, help us to take the time to hear your voice. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.